Amen. Amen. I am so excited to see each and every one of you here today. And I'm excited, I tell you, the songs and the message already, my heart's about to burst over here. I don't know about you, but it's about to explode. And, uh, but this is an awesome day, and I wanted to uh, encourage you through God's Word. My daughter asked me yesterday, she said, Dad, are you ready for Sunday morning? And I said, Honey, I've been preparing all my life for Sunday morning to lead up to this point. And so... It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. And God loves you. And he's got a purpose and he's got a plan for you. And we're going to find out some cool things about Jesus today. You see, when I was a young boy, I, w I was taken to church and all of those things. But I had a lot of doubts. And I had a lot of questions. And I don't know if you're in this room today and, and you're that way. But I was one of those that I wanted a lot of answers to a lot of questions before I was going to believe. Anybody in the room kind of like that? I, I wanted to know what I was getting into. And if I was going to be a follower of this Jesus, I had to know was he really who he said he was and did he really do what he did? And I, I wanted details. And I asked so many questions, I probably drove the teachers crazy. But, you know, you've probably been in class with one of those that keep going, ooh, 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 I got a question. Well, I was that person. And I kept asking those questions. And I'd get some answers, but then I'd keep asking some more questions. But we're going to see a question that Jesus turned to his disciples here. And so if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, we're going to look at a few, first, few verses here. We're going to look at a few verses over in 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to come back to Matthew. But I promise you, it's a journey you want to listen to today. You know... I get to talk today to you about my best friend. He's my best friend. And Jesus, by far, is the best friend I've ever had. I love my brothers. And I love my brothers because of my best friend. Because I wouldn't even know my brothers in Christ if it weren't for my best friend. I wouldn't be up in Walton County if it were not for my best friend. I'd still be down in middle Georgia where I grew up on the farms and, and rode the dirt roads. Yes, we still have dirt roads down there and uh, all of those things. But I'm going to talk to you today about my best friend, and he is my BFF because he is my best friend forever. Now on this earth, my best friend is sitting right over here. Her name is Angie. She's my wife of 32 years, and I mean 33, I think. Let me get it right. 34 coming up, all right, making sure. I do know the day. I do know the day, guys. Better know that day. But it'll be 34 in July. But she is my best friend on this earth. She's the one I talked and share everything with. But Jesus had had a, some disciples with him, and he'd had them with him for a short while, and and he, he brought a question to them. And the first one was a general question. He said to them, and you'll see in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 13, he said, Who do the people say that I am? He used the phrase the Son of Man here, but that, that actually was Jesus' favorite title for himself was the Son of Man. Figure that. But it was. He wanted to identify with us so much that his favorite title was Son of Man. I love it. That's your friend, buddy. But listen, he said, guys, who do people say that I am? 
Well, they responded with a few answers. They said, well, some say John the Baptist. You know, that guy that was the kind of ate locusts, looked like a wild man out in the desert preaching. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. And he was a mighty man of God. Prayed and God did mighty things through Elijah. And then he said, and some say Jeremiah, another prophet. And one of the prophets, that's who people say you are. But then Jesus turned the question to them personally. But who do you say that I am? So they'd been hanging out with Jesus for a few years at this point. And they looked at one another. And Peter, Peter was the guy that was the bold one. Peter always did things before he thought about it. I mean, he was just that kind of personality. He was the bull in the china cabinet, was Peter. Okay? But Peter gave an answer that day that was astonishing. He said these words. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, you are the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the one who's going to save us from our sins. You are the one. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus spoke to Peter, and he said, You know what, Peter? Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who's in heaven. The only way you could know that is that God told you. The only way that we could really know who God is is because of the Father, because John says no man can come to the to Jesus unless the Father draws him to himself. Well, he goes on and he has some more dialogue to Peter, and, but I'm not going, that's not what the message is about today. But look down in verse 21. It said, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and notice this, and be killed, and be raised up, on the third day. Now that's significant because Jesus lays out to them what is going to be happening to him in the coming days. And were they going to believe it and were they going to buy into it? Now take your Bibles and I want you to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we're going to pick up in a, here in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because I want to give you some evidence and facts. I'm the kind of person that likes to deal with facts. I want to know, is this true? And how do you know it's true? Well, do you believe that Jesus is a real person? Most people do. Most people believe that Jesus existed. The historians have proved that Jesus existed. There's more proof that Jesus existed than there was that than Julius Caesar existed or anyone else. The proof is there through the historians through the years. But I want you to listen to the words of a guy by the name of Paul who was speaking to a church. And this is what he had to say about Jesus. In fact, he was one who was kind of against Jesus. He persecuted the followers of Jesus. And he had this to say about him after he had come to find out who he truly was. He said in verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you uh, as of first importance what I also received. What did he receive? He received a relationship with this friend called Jesus. 
He received it. He encountered him on a road to a place called Damascus. And he met him and was blinded by a bright light, fell to the ground, heard a voice from heaven. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his response was, who are you, Lord? And the words came back, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Paul has had an encounter with Jesus, and he said, and I have received him. And notice what he says about Jesus, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You've heard the story. You've heard the Easter story, and it's all about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. I spoke about it last week, the reverse of the curse. All of us have sinned. All of us deserved it. But what God had to do was that God had to become a man in order to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. And what God did was by becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ. We know he was born of a virgin by the name of Mary. We know he lived in a little village there in Bethlehem for a short time. We know he was sent to Egypt because... They were trying, Herod was trying to kill him at that time as a baby. We know that he grew up in a town called Nazareth. We know some things about him to where he was 12, and then after that point, we don't hear about him until he's 30. And then he's, he has an encounter with God, and he goes out into the wilderness. He's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He goes through every temptation that you and I could ever face, but he handled it all. And Jesus lived a perfect life, a perfect and sinless life, no matter what. How many of you in the room have been tempted this week by an enemy called the devil? Has the devil tempted you this week? How many of you gave in to that temptation this week? How many of you were victorious in that temptation this week? Well, listen, Jesus never lost a battle when it came to temptation. I've lost many. Amen? you lost. Look at your neighbor and say, Hey, I've, I've, I have lost a few. I have sinned. I have fallen short. Okay? I've lost some. I wish I could say I've won every battle, but I hadn't. The temptations came, but Jesus won every battle when it came to temptation. And then it, it's because of that that he was led to the cross. To, and he died for my sin. Now listen. That's what makes Jesus my BFF. I'm going to ask you a question. Has anybody ever died for you? Has anybody? And if you say yes, I know you're saying Jesus did. He's the only one that I can personally say that has died for me. Now, I know, I know there's some military guys in the room, and you might have had some people that literally did lay it down so that you could be here. And you were willing to do the same thing. But I've never been in that experience. But I do know this. I have a best friend forever because I know he personally laid down his life for me. You know, they say the definition of a friend is someone who would die for you. Now, how many friends do you have on Facebook? Now, ask how many of them. Some of you go, I don't do that. Well, how many friends do you have that say they're your friends? Here's the next question. How many of them would die for you? I'd, I'd venture to say that would eliminate a thousand of them off my Facebook page. That say they're my friends, but heck no, they wouldn't die for me. You, you, nod, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Well, Jesus died for my sin. 
And for that, I wake up every morning, just like we talked about this week. We wake up every morning thankful that we've been covered and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So really, we celebrate Easter Sunday. We celebrate a resurrection, but for me, every day, every day I wake up is a day that I go, thank you, Lord, that you're my best friend. My first, I don't know what your first thought is in the morning, but I've challenged myself to let my first thought in the morning be God and my last thought at night to be God. I challenge you to do that. Because you know what's hitting you? Most of you, your first thought you wake up in the morning is, is either going to be about work or it's either going to be, oh, it's going to be about your health. You know what I'm talking about, some of you in this room. It's going to be something along those lines. But I've learned if I can say, God, please, I want you to be my first thought of the day. And I want you to be my last thought at night. He, why? Because he's my BFF. Jesus is my best friend. He not only died for my sins, it says in this text that he was buried. That he was buried. Now, how do we know that? I want you to turn with me back to Matthew's gospel, chapter 27. And I want to give you the story of who actually buried Jesus. He was a rich dude. He was in the Jewish uh, religious leadership, and his name was Joseph. It's kind of interesting that God put a Joseph to be like a stepdad to Jesus in his earthly life, and he put a Joseph there to help bury him when the time came. But after Jesus had died on the cross, a, guy, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph went, and he was a disciple of Jesus, but he went and asked for the body. And they granted the body to him. So he took that body and he took it out there to a grave that he had hewn out of the stone. And he had it done. I'm sure he didn't do it himself. I'm sure he paid to have it done. But it was a place to where a stone could be rolled over. And it was probably intended for him. But it was near where Jesus was crucified. So they took the body. Him and a guy named Nicodemus helped him. And they wrapped Jesus' body that Friday night right before Passover. Because they had to do it. It was ceremonially proper to do that thing. And so that's what took place. So Joseph of Arimathea, he buried him. And then they put him there. And I want you to notice this. Look down in verse 62 and 63. There were some people, the chief priests and Pharisees, came to Pilate. And they said these words, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. So we know that Jesus was buried. And these religious leaders were so worried about his words actually coming true <laughs> that they said, Put a, put a guard there, and let's put a seal on it. And that's what they did. And Pilate said, you have a guard. Y'all go out there, and I love Pilate's words. He says it right down here in verse 65. He says, you have a guard. Go make it as, as secure as you know how. <laughs> Doesn't that make you laugh? They're about to go and make the tomb as secure as they know how. Because listen, ain't no grave 
going to hold his body down. Amen. Ain't no grave going to hold his body down. But they tried to seal it and secure it and even put the guard up. So we know, we know this is a fact. We know they did that. His body was buried in that tomb. Okay. So hold your finger right here and turn on back with me to 1 Corinthians because we're not finished yet, y'all. We know that he, what, died for our sins according to the God's word. We know that he was buried, but whoo, here comes the good news. It says right here, verse 4, and we know that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. On the first day, that Sunday morning, there was a lady by the name of Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene was a woman that was, uh, would you say, a lady of the evening. Okay? This woman had, the Bible said, had seven demons in her. Now you're talking about a personality disorder. She had seven demons in her. But guess what? She met Jesus. Jesus became her BFF. Well, you know why? He spoke to those demons and said, come out of her, and guess what? Ain't no grave going to hold that body down. And so when Jesus spoke to those demons to come out of Mary Magdalene, they came out of her, and guess what she did from that point on? She followed Jesus. Now, if, if you'd been suffering with seven demons in your life, and a man came and cast them out of your life, would you follow him? Would you go with that? I want to hang with him. He is my BFF. Some of y'all be thinking, I've been dealing with an issue for years. And if Jesus just took care of that one thing, I'd do whatever and anything just to follow. Well, that was Mary Magdalene. Well, guess what? Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. And when she got there, God, we don't know which angel he sent. But God sent an angel down to the tomb. And it wasn't to let Jesus out. It was to let others in. Okay? That's for the record. But he sent this angel down there. And when the angel showed up, the ground began to shake. A great earthquake occurred. And the stone was rolled away. And guess what those guards did? Boy, they got up and started fighting, didn't they? Heck No. Man, they fell to the ground as dead men. They were in, afraid and trembling because a bad boy angel has just stepped into the sea. And so they fall as dead men. The angels, they're talking to Mary Magdalene and a few of the other ladies, and he says these words. He's not here. He's risen. Why do you seek the living? among the dead there ain't no grave that's going to hold his body down y'all he's gone he's gone he's he's out of there but they rolled the stone away and the woman saw this and then she went back and reported it to the disciples who were afraid hiding up in a room and a couple of them run to the tomb to check it out for themselves and they sure enough body's gone third day he's gone he's gone and then here's another cool thing all kinds of crazy things were happening, but the word began to spread. The body is gone. Jesus is not in the tomb. The tomb is empty. 
But none of the disciples believed the report of Mary Magdalene and the other women. They didn't even re believe the report of two guys that walked on the way to a town called Emmaus who Jesus actually met with. They didn't believe any of that. And they sat through that whole resurrection Sunday in a room afraid and scared, even though the reports had been given. Wow. That's what the first Easter Sunday looked like, y'all, and went down. And you would have thought those disciples would have been like, man, I remember what he said. But no, the religious rulers remembered what he said and said, let's go put a guard and let's seal it because we're afraid that the deceiver is going to deceive us even more by somebody coming and stealing his body and taking it away. So guess what the guards did to cover their hide? Because you know what the penalty was? If, if somebody got away that you were guarding, you know what the sentence was? Death. You were done. It's over for you. So the guards came and they reported what had happened with the angel and all that. And the religious leaders, this is found in Matthew's gospel there, the latter part of verse, in, in, into 28 there, Matthew 28. But it says they bought them off. They bought them off. They paid to keep them silent and said, you are to say these words. The disciples came and stole his body away by night. And they say that story is still reported to the Jews to this day. Huh. Is that a fact? The disciples, the disciples didn't come and steal nobody away. They over there hiding for the fear of their life. Why? Because when Jesus was arrested in the, in the garden that Friday night, they scattered, they scattered like a, when a lion would run in and scatter sheep. They just ran away. They did. They were hiding. They weren't the one coming trying to steal the body away. So these guards were paid off. So I want you to see the rest of the story here that comes from Paul. So back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. It says, and after that, he appeared to a guy named Cephas. That's Peter, the one who's always talking. Then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then after that, he appeared to James, and then to also to the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. So I'm giving you the final proof. There's two things I want to say to you before I close today. And one of them is he appeared to a lot of people that proved that he indeed was alive. He lists Peter right off the bat. He lists 500 brethren. He lists the apostles. There were the two on the road to Emmaus. There was Mary Magdalene, who he first appeared to. And then the most convincing evidence is to me is, is Paul himself. Because Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He was sent on a journey to kill Christians. And here he is writing and saying, and last of all, he appeared to me. Do you know in Jesus' 40 days after he was resurrected from the grave, 
He only appeared to believers. Not once did he appear to any unbeliever. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? But after, after he left and was ascended into heaven, the only other person he's appeared to was this guy right here writing the book to, to the Corinthians. And his name was Saul, and he became Paul. And look at what God did through his life. And Paul, Saul was an unbeliever at that time on that road to Damascus. But he is saying with convincing evidence, and least of all, he appeared to me. Now, I've never seen Jesus personally, but I know him personally. How did he come to me? Still small voice. Still small voice. He spoke to my spirit. How did I become his friend? It's through the Holy Spirit. You're born of the Spirit. Every one of you in this room has a spirit. And that spirit is going to live forever. And it will either have eternal life or eternal death. But we all have it. And I can, I've had many encounters with Jesus through the years. But he speaks to me through this word. And he speaks to me through my wife. Amen. Some of y'all are going, hmm. Your mate, your best friend. He's, he speaks to you through other people. In godly counsel that comes from certain ones. But he's spoken. And he's still speaking today. How? Through his word. Through his word. So that's the convincing evidence. And the final thing that I want to say to you that convinced me is this. These guys were willing to die for what they believed. They went from being scared, shut up in a room, to encountering Jesus, and then later being filled with his spirit, and boldly going out to preach the gospel. And then many of them died a martyr's death. Peter... For instance, according to legend and tradition, was hung on a cross. And he didn't want to be crucified the same way as Jesus was, so he asked for the cross to be turned upside down. That, Peter's dramatic now. He's just dramatic. But that's what he asked for, and that's what happened. John was the only one that we know of that made it out alive, but he was exiled onto a place called Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. <laughs> The last book in the Bible. But there's one that is convincing to me is more than any. And he's precious to me because his name is James. He's the one who wrote the book of James. He was the half-brother to Jesus. Yes, they shared the same mother, but not the same daddy. And he, he grew up under Jesus. Can you imagine... Growing up with Jesus as your half-brother. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Mary going, James, get over here. Why can't you be perfect like your brother Jesus over here? Why can't you be perfect like him? He's never done anything wrong, but James, get your butt over here. How many times have I got to get a hold of you? Hey, listen. It's hard, isn't it, living with family sometimes, but when you got somebody perfect living in your family, whoa, I don't know about you, perfection might have been put on you. You might have been, it might have been projected on you to be the perfect one. 
And you tried to live up to all of that, but guess what? Everybody knows you're not perfect. Somebody look to your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. Somebody look to your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. You're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. But listen, Jesus was. And so James knew everything that he needed to know. But you know what it says about James? He was still unbelieving until that encounter of the resurrection. But you know how I know James finally believed and trusted that his brother was really who he said he was. And he surrendered to him. James ended up becoming the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And one day, the religious leaders, because he was preaching his brother's life, death, burial, and resurrection and proclaiming Jesus, they took James up to the top of the temple and they threw him off of the temple to the ground, pretty high up. And guess what? He survived the fall. He survived when they threw him off the top of the temple. And guess what he did? He got, after they threw him down, there were those on the ground who had rocks that were ready to stone him. And he got up on his knees and he began to pray for the ones that were about to stone him to death. Hmm. Listen, friends, that right there is enough evidence to me to convince me that James believed he was truly the Son of God. In a moment when you should have been trying to crawl out and save your life, James knelt and prayed for those who cast the stones. And the ones that were at the top of the temple, they came down and they joined in on the stoning of the brother of Jesus named James. And here's the deal. You won't die for what you don't believe in. Every person that's ever served this country and gone overseas to fight for the freedom of this country they did it. Why? Because they believe in you and me and the freedoms that we have, that we're living in the greatest country in the world. And they went out willingly, if needed, to lay down their life. For what? For what they believed in. And so you and I, we're faced with that same challenge. I know whom I have believed in, and I am convinced and I am persuaded that he holds me. And he is my BFF forever. Amen. So my question as I wrap up the Jesus story is this. Who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your best friend? Well, listen, if he's not, today is your resurrection day. Today is your day. To open up your heart and say, God, I need you. I'm not perfect. I've just admitted it to my neighbor. I'm not perfect. But Jesus was. And he died for my sin. He was buried. And he rose on the third day. He appeared to many people. He changed 
Saul's life to Paul. He changed James' life to be willing to die. And I need you, Jesus, to change my life. So if that's you, bow your heads all across this room. This is our time, our moment to reflect, and our moment to make a decision. The most important decision you could ever make. I made it on March 22, 